0: working through the Gospel of Luke, and we continue that this morning, reading Luke's account of what we call the triumphal entry from Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28, and reading all the way through verse 48. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the things, all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet... They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. This is God's word for us this morning. I've been reading for my personal devotions through uh, some of the prophets Prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Jeremiah was a prophet who uh, had the un had the joy joy of telling the people of Jerusalem that God was going to destroy Jerusalem. Ezekiel was out in Babylon about the same time with the same message for the people there. And both of them basically say to the people, this is happening because you weren't paying attention to God. You kind of wanted to go off and do your own thing, plan your own way of doing it. As I read Luke's account of the triumphal entry, I feel some of that same tension going on. There were people who were part of this story who completely misunderstood what this day was about. Some of them because they had certain expectations, others because they felt threatened. This morning, I want to think about these two groups a little bit and then focus on the one person who fully does understand what this entrance is about, and guide us back to that as well. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He's been on his way for a while. And he comes, and he arrives, and he rides in on a donkey as a king of peace. The crowds rightly begin to celebrate and praise God for this King of righteousness, who is coming to deliver them. They celebrate and praise God for all of the miracles, all of the the ways in which Jesus has been identified as somebody with authority, somebody who's going to make a difference, somebody who's going to make reality finally happen. But for them, many of them, that reality was to make Israel great again. They saw Jesus as as that Savior who would finally rise up and take control of the situation and make Israel like it was in the days of David and Solomon when they were a people to be reckoned with a people to be celebrated as the people of God. This person was perhaps the one who would throw off the Romans, more than that, establish a kingdom greater than the Romans. Be that stone that crushed that image in the vision of Daniel, of Nebuchadnezzar, recorded for us in Daniel, and fill the whole earth. They had great expectations, but they misunderstood day. They were looking for someone who would make their dreams reality, who would bring about a peace that put them in a position of blessing. I think we struggle with that even ourselves as followers of Jesus in these days. Sometimes we get so caught up with this idea that what we used to be has vanished and we want to continue or want to go back to it. And we'll follow anyone who can do that, whether it be uh, the people who are on the conservative side Who are seeing their way of life kind of vanishing before their eyes, or the people on the progressive side who want to see this opportunity to to make the make our nation into what it ought to be. And believing that many of them believing that God is on their side, on either side. And I cringe sometimes when I hear the conversations that that we have or or don't have. Because we have this ideal as Christians that really misses the significance of what Good Fr- or what Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter are about. We put our own passions above God's purposes. So we have the crowds with their idea their passion for progress, their passion for kingdom building. But then we also have the other side, the religious leaders, the ones who see all of this going on and tell Jesus, you've got to stop this. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people are kind of on the opposite spectrum of, of the crowds. They want to maintain what's always been. They're more interested in, in maintaining their position than in practicing their religion. They're more interested in their traditions than they are in right theology. And when push comes to shoves, that's where they go to. They see Jesus as a threat. They don't want him to be part of their community. They want him dead because he is threatening their way of life. They like the peace that they have. It's not ideal, but they're prospering under it. You see this playing out even today i don 't know how much you know of about Beth Moore and the situation that existed between her and uh, the Southern Baptist uh, Convention recently came out that she had left the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, I read an article in Christianity Today, uh, which I consider a, a fairly reliable source, and essentially uh, What had transpired was she was essentially hated out of the denomination. It turned out she had a different value than the value of the rest of the leadership. And as soon as that became clear, she received all kinds of hate. And finally, she left, not because she had any theological disagreement, and she was not hated because she had some theological uh, heresy or whatever. It was simply because... She didn't have the right values, and so she had to go. Gatekeepers do that. Gatekeepers also shun anybody who doesn't fit the mold. And again, I cringe at some of the things that are said in the name of civil religion about other people. If that's who we are as followers of Christ, then we have misunderstood the events of beginning with Palm Sunday, going through Easter, or perhaps we've simply laid it aside in order to promote something else. Jesus, on the other hand, is the one who is portrayed as the one who understands exactly what's going on, exactly what is needed. We've been following the story that Luke presents for, uh, since before Christmas, thinking about the early chapters of Luke where we hear about the, the Christmas story, how uh, Jesus came into the world, born of Joseph and Mary, how he was presented at the, te- at the temple as, a, as an eight-day-old baby, how Anna and Simeon prophesied about him, how Mary pondered all of these things. We saw him again at the temple as a young boy. Mom and dad lost track of him, searched for three days to find him, and they find him, and they say, hey, we were worried about you. What did Jesus say? Shouldn't I be about my father's business? We followed him as he grew up, as he uh, began his ministry, as he was baptized, as he taught as he demonstrated his power time and again over over evil, raising the son of the widow of Nain, for example, welcoming Zacchaeus and and Bartimaeus and, and many others who were on the fringes of society into the family of God as children of Abraham, restored, He's been telling his disciples for a number of days now exactly what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. They don't understand. They don't want to understand. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die, but I will be raised again. So on this day, he comes, and on the way to the city, he commands that a donkey be brought for him to ride on. He knows exactly what this is about. He knows that he's fulfilling what I, what Zechariah prophesies in Zechariah nine. Behold, the son of the king of righteousness will come riding on a colt, bringing peace. He's presenting himself as that king of righteousness. He comes into the city. The religious leaders stop him and say, hey, you've got to tell these people to be quiet. Jesus responds, if they were quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus knows. Jesus understands. He wants us to know and understand that the peace that he is bringing on to this day is so much deeper than simply nationalistic interests. Even the creation senses the significance of this day. In Romans, Paul talks about the the awareness that all creation is groaning in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For they have been subjected to frustration by the one who subjected them. And they're waiting for that day when they will be released from it. We have to go back to what's at the heart of the gospel to understand the significance of that. All the way back, back past David and Solomon, all the way back past Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to the beginning. Genesis tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He filled it. He made mankind. And then he stopped and said, This is good. This is just the way I wanted it to be. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve fail to obey God. They fail to take God seriously enough to keep from eating that forbidden fruit. Sin entered the world. Creation was subjected to frustration. All those relationships that were good are no longer good. We have a separation between God and mankind. We have a separation between, between mankind, as evidenced in um, Cain and Abel. We have a separation between mankind, who are supposed to be the caretakers of the creation, and the creation itself. And ever since, we've been treating each other badly in one way or another. But the good news is that God, seeing all that and knowing all that, takes action on our behalf to restore those relationships. Jesus comes into the world to die for sin, but more than that, to be raised for our justification, for our salvation, that we might have a right relationship with God. That we might do what we are doing this morning, entering not just physically into this place, but, but spiritually into the presence of God. Because of what Jesus does. Not just here on Palm Sunday, but in that week that lies ahead. That's why he can say, even if all these people were quiet, the stones would cry out. This is a momentous situation. It's also very fitting that we end our scripture reading this morning with Jesus at the temple. He goes to the temple, he drives out those who are are selling and, and declares that this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. It's fitting because back when he was a young man, we saw him at a temple, at the temple saying, didn't you know I need to be about my father's business? Jesus understood what was going on. He knew exactly what he was doing and why. He was obeying his heavenly father and ours, doing his father's business on our behalf. It is so easy to get sidetracked. It is so easy to begin to think that other things are more important, to lose sight of what is central to what we believe, to who we are supposed to be. It's easy to fall prey to the To the idea that somehow we are responsible for making the world right. We are responsible for making our nation right. We are in trouble because we are not in charge. Well, we're in trouble as soon as we start thinking that we're supposed to be. I invite us, encourage us, each one of us, in this coming week, to take a look, to ponder... In the sense that Mary pondered early on the events that take place between Palm Sunday and Easter. Listen carefully to what goes on, to who says what. Focus in on what is it that truly gives us peace. We keep that in mind, then we won't get caught straying too far. We'll always know where the baseline is of our faith. For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish have everlasting life, will truly know peace with God. Amen. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you fully understood what you were doing, that you fully understood that you were coming to do the Father's work. And that you are doing it for our good, as well as the Father's glory. Lord, help us always to come back to that reality that you died and rose again. That we might have peace with God. And in that framework, have peace with one another and even rightly consider how we should work within this creation that you have created. We confess, Father, that, Lord Jesus, that it is easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to misunderstand what you have called us to do. But help us always to come back to that central reality that in you we find peace. And that as your people, you invite us to spread that peace to all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. When we think about the gospel and what it means... When we think about the kind of God that we worship, we can't help but praise. So let's sing together How Great Thou Art as our song of response this morning.